0: This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. So the theme, my message tonight is the upside down path to righteousness. The upside down path to righteousness. And so righteousness, or you could say the upside down path to right standing with God, the upside down path to being a Christian, to becoming a Christian. And so upside down, this is the theme. This is the theme of the conference. The kingdom of God uh, has been called a backwards kingdom. It's upside down. The world views life, views morality, views righteousness and sin. and. Any other subject you want to think about, the world views it completely opposite, or backwards, or upside down from the Bible or from God, and so that—that's how the kingdom of God can be described. It's upside down. When when a non-believer looks at the Bible and looks at what God's Word says, or or listens to the gospel being preached, many would say, "Well, that doesn't make any sense," or "or that's upside down," that's backwards, or. There are people who look at the Bible and they say, well, it's, it's archaic, it's old, it's, it's backwards. We live in 2023, we live in modern times, and, but this is the upside-down kingdom. What's amazing about the gospel, about God's word, is that it has stood the test of time for over 2,000 years, every generation of people. Young people, older people, every generation of people have been transformed since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. have been transformed by the gospel. Anyone that comes in contact with it is never the same. Whether they, whether they receive the word of God or they reject it, lives are impacted because the word of God is true. Because it is eternal, it is powerful, it has life and power. And so we're going to talk about this upside-down kingdom, this upside-down path to righteousness. And Pastor Dom wants us to look at Matthew chapter 5, and this is Jesus' most famous sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And so he, he goes up to a—he he comes down uh, off the mountain, and, he, and the crowd follows him, so he goes up a little bit on the mountain, and he begins to speak to the crowd, and this is his most famous sermon. You, you can turn to Matthew 5 to get prepared for when we get there. But what I want to do tonight is I want to endeavor to answer this one fundamental question. If we're thinking about the kingdom of God and the pathway to righteousness before God, I think the question we want to ask this evening is, is how do you get into the kingdom of heaven? How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? There's a, a kingdom and there's a king and the king is Jesus and the kingdom of heaven is his kingdom and how do you get into the kingdom of heaven or what does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? In Matthew five in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it kind of it starts like this. You, you, have, you have Jesus preaching this first sermon and he kind of lays a foundation at the beginning, the verses, the two verses we're going to cover tonight, of what it takes to get into the kingdom, and then the rest of the sermon is what it looks like for the, those who are in the kingdom, what it looks like in their life and how they live, how they relate to others, how they relate to sin, how they relate to God's word, and so it's kind of like, here's who they are, here's how you become a follower of Jesus, and then the rest of the sermon is, is here's how you live, here's what it looks like. So... How can a person be right with God? This is the question that we're going to endeavor to ask, and I think Jesus is pointing to in his sermon. So let's look at Matthew 5. Let me read the first four verses. So if you have your Bibles open, it says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or it could be said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, who are sorrowful, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So Important thing to note here when we look at the beginning of the sermon. Jesus is, in the beginning of the sermon, he's saying that those which who wish to climb the mountain of God, ascend to the kingdom of heaven, must be poor and must mourn. They must be poor and they must mourn. So what, do, what does this mean? Blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn. We, we know typically you, you think of the word poor as meaning not having a lot of money, right? That's what you would think if somebody you would look at somebody and say, they're poor because they don't have a lot of money or possessions, but that's not what the word "poor" here means. And then the word "mourn," we know the word "mourn" here it, it means mourn, it means sorrowful. So what does what does this mean? What, what is Jesus getting at here? And I just want to say the interpretation uh, that Jesus uh, of this section, these two verses, is not complex. It is really straightforward. What it means to to mourn and what it means to be poor in spirit. And here, here's a simple Here's a simple interpretation. I have two things. It'll be up on the screen for you. Here's what it means to be poor in spirit it means spiritual bankruptcy is the ticket into the kingdom of God. That's what it means. Blessed, the word blessed there means happy, means content, it means peaceful. To be blessed, happy is the man, happy is the person who is spiritually bankrupt, who recognizes their spiritual bankruptcy because spiritual bankruptcy is the ticket into the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. That's what this means. That's what that first verse means. And then and in the second part, the second part, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It, it, it means this brokenness over sin is the mark of a child of God. Brokenness over sin is the mark of a child of God, to be broken, to mourn, to grieve over sin. So, so the entrance into the kingdom of heaven belongs to those, belongs to those who are spiritually bankrupt, meaning when I come to God, I have, I've, I'm bringing nothing to the table. I'm not bringing any, any money, any good works, anything. I'm not bringing anything to the table to, to be right with God, the, the, the upside-down pathway to righteousness. I'm not bringing anything to God and saying, because of these things, this is, this is why you're going to approve of me. So this is, this is the basic understanding of these two phrases here, these two verses that Jesus is opening his sermon with. He's starting out saying, blessed, happy, content, joy-filled it is the one, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall be comforted. Or said another way, here's a way that we could say it. To interpret it, we cannot save ourselves by our own good works because all of us are spiritually bankrupt before God. And the person who recognizes this reality will be broken and sorrowful over their sin. Did you see it back there? Let's, let's look at it again. We cannot save ourselves by our own good works because all of us, all of us are spiritually bankrupt before God. And the person who recognizes this reality will be broken and sorrowful over their sin. That's what Jesus is starting his sermon with. Thousands of people followed him everywhere, and he starts off by saying, the person who thinks he doesn't have it all together the person who knows that he is spiritually bankrupt him or her are spiritually bankrupt the person who understands the depth of their sin that is the person that the kingdom of heaven belongs to that's the person that can be right before god and this is what he starts his sermon with and so 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 this is a simple interpretation so we can be done tonight you guys ready to be done we're 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 done you've been taking notes that's it That's Matthew 5. Do you think I should preach some more? Let's see, it's 7.38. When did I start? 7.37? Okay, I think I've been going a little bit longer than a minute, but that's it. That's it. That's a simple interpretation. But you know what's awesome about Jesus is that Jesus, when you read the Gospels, and really all of Scripture, it's really the same message over and over And over again in the Old Testament, the message of the gospel is concealed in types and shadows and images and pictures. In the New Testament, it's revealed. And when you get to the New Testament, to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you you get into the Apostle Paul's letters, the gospel message is said and worded in many different ways, but it is the same message. This is the message of the Bible, that spiritual bankruptcy is a ticket to the kingdom of heaven, and brokenness over sin will be the mark of a follower of Christ. What's awesome about Jesus is that he tells that, he tells that message, he preaches that message in many different ways. And one way in which he preached the message of the kingdom is through parables, through stories. If you were at home a Christian this morning, uh, you heard the parable of the sower and the seed. We talked about the parable of the sower and the seed and the type of heart you you have to have. Who remembers the points? What, What are the three types of hearts? Heart like stone, pavement, a heart like weeds, weeds, that's the second one. And the third one is a a heart like a solar panel, right? So that's the parable of the the seeds and of the sower and the seeds. This parable, there's a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18 that I, I believe illustrates what he's saying in Matthew 5. I mean like to a T. The parable in Luke 18 illustrates Matthew 5, illustrates being poor in spirit, and illustrates mourning over sin. And there's two men... That Jesus has made up characters that he's going to illustrate what it means to be poor in spirit and what it means to be sorrowful over our sin. And the two characters are a Pharisee and a tax collector. So just a little background before we read the parable, why did he choose to talk about a Pharisee and a tax collector? Well, a Pharisee in Jesus's day, they were the religious leaders of the Jews, and so, as a Pharisee, most Pharisees would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament in, in your Bible that you're looking at. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had, most of them had memorized that. And it was the law of God, the Torah. And so, these men, these Pharisees, they knew the law of God. But if you study the Gospels, you, re, you, you begin to quickly realize that the Pharisees, though they knew the law of God, and they were called by God to, to lead Israel spiritually and point them to Yahweh, to the creator God, to God, they knew things intellectually, but inwardly they were hypocrites. I mean, there's so many times Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees because, because outwardly they looked apart, but inwardly they, they weren't true, truly following God. They were, they were telling others, here's what you're to do, but, but they weren't doing that on their own. And Jesus called the Pharisees blind guides. So this is the Pharisee. He's telling a story. And he's talking where Pharisees would be listening. Okay? The tax collector. Here's the other character in the story. Why a tax collector? Well, in, in Jewish days, the tax collector, a tax collector, uh, was considered by the Jews to be one of the most notorious sinners possible, and here's why. I, I know generally we don't like to pay taxes. You don't have to worry about pay, paying taxes right now. If you don't make over $12,000 in a year as a teenager, you don't have to file for taxes. Did you know that? I didn't know that till I started having some teenagers, but you don't have to file taxes right now, but for us adults, we don't like the tax, man, but I don't think that IRS are sons of Satan. I think that they take, the government takes too much of our money. But in Jewish days, the tax collectors were Jews who were commissioned by Rome. Who Jews lived in the Roman Empire during the days of the Bible. And so the Roman Empire says, we want money. You have to pay taxes because you live in our empire, in our region. And so they commissioned Jewish men to collect taxes. And here's what was the common practice of the Jewish tax collectors. They would have their tax booths, and people would come and pay taxes, but they would raise the tax rate to this crazy amount of money, and they they were raising it above what Rome was saying that the people owed. And they would take the difference and pocket it. They were stealing from their own people. So you can imagine, this is why, the Pharisees and other Jews hated tax collectors. You wouldn't like somebody that stole from you, right? You wouldn't want to eat at their house. You wouldn't want to invite them over for dinner. This is, this is a tax collector. So do you guys get it? Pharisee and a tax collector. A person, a person in a Pharisee who who, who, who believes that he is righteous and he is good. And then a tax collector who knows that everybody thinks he's lower than dirt and is a sinner of all sinners. And these are the two characters in the parable that Jesus tells that perfectly illustrates being poor in spirit and mourning over sin. So here we go. We're going to illustrate Matthew 5, first two verses. Luke 18, you can turn there. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men, went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, the righteous man, quote, unquote, righteous man, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, the Pharisee said. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, You know, the sinner of all sinners, he stood afar off. Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pretty powerful story. So many great truths we can squeeze out of this story that will teach us and will will answer the question, how can a person be right with God? Do you remember the question, how can a person be right with God? What is the pathway in this upside-down kingdom, the upside-down path to righteousness? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, didn't he? Poor in spirit, brokenness over sin. Luke 18 will illustrate it for us in three ways. Here's the first way. Here's the first way. First truth, we are not made right with God by being less bad than other people we are not made right with god by being less bad than other people did you see that in the text in luke 18 look look back luke 18 verse 11 the pharisee standing by himself pharisee tax collector in the temple pharisee sees the tax collector he's not going to go anywhere near the tax collector he wouldn't, wouldn't be seen, he wouldn't want to be seen caught standing next to the tax, tax collector. He, he's righteous. He stands away from him, so he's by himself, and he prays. And what a prayer. What a prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Have you ever prayed like that? I mean, what a prayer. What a way to start a prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like that dude and that girl and Thank you, I'm not like that bad person and and that bad person I see on TV and and this person who messed up over here. I'm glad I'm not like them. We are not made right with God by being less bad than other people. And this is what the Pharisee in his quote unquote prayer to God, this is what he's starting with. He's saying, I thank you, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, I don't extort. Now, now, Now get it. He knows who he's with. He knows who he's with in the temple. It'd be like sitting in church, and, and, and you've, you've ever heard preachers say, the sermon's for you, and not for the someone sitting next to you, and you can't stop thinking about the person sitting next to you because you know what they need? This is like the Pharisee going to, the, to church, and he looks at the tax collector, and he's like, the sermon's for this dude. I thank God I'm not like him. And he begins to describe the tax collector. He says, I thank God I'm not like other men. Extortioners. That's what it means to steal from other people. You extort. You're unjust. And then he says, adulterers. I thank God I'm not like them too. Or even like this tax collector. The Pharisee was comparing himself to others. He saw himself as being less bad than all these other sinful people. And so often... What we do, I think it's natural for us, it even starts at a very young age for us, we so often make ourselves feel better about our lives by looking at other people's sin. And we've all all done it, we all do it. We make ourselves feel better about the things that we do by looking at other people's sins, and in some ways we say, well my sin is not as bad as their sin, I'm less bad than them. And I know, as a parent of four kids, two teenagers and two younger kids, and having watched the teenagers grow up to the age they are now, but then also living with two younger kids that do the same thing that my teenagers did when they were that age, here's what they do. Reagan, don't do that. Stop doing what you're doing, and one of the first words out of Reagan's mouth will be, but Lincoln, but Lincoln, he did this, this, and this. So at a very young age, we, are, we become just like the Pharisee. We don't even realize it. It's natural. We want to make ourselves look better in the things that we do wrong by pointing out the faults of other people that we think their sin is worse than ours. You guys follow me with that? This is what we do. You've, you've all done it with siblings. You get fussed, and then you start talking about your brother or your sister. At least I'm not like my sister or my brother who did this or do that. You know, there's a problem with that, though. Here's the problem. Your brother or your sister or your friend or your neighbor, their life, the way that they live, their righteousness, their unrighteousness is not the standard that we're to be compared to, right? That's not the standard that we're to be compared to. The problem with this mindset is that of comparing my sin with your sin is that I'm comparing myself to the wrong standard. The Pharisee compared himself to the wrong standard. He was comparing himself to the tax collector, well, what's the right standard? Well, the standard is this, Romans three twenty three. for all have sinned, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and all have sinned and fo- fallen short of the glory of God. We are not made right with God by being less bad than other people because we're all bad. We're all bad. Apart from Christ, all of us are sinful. Apart from God's redeeming grace, it is a level playing field. We're all equally not right with God. And the standard is the glory of God. When you think about the glory of God, it's his perfection, it's his perfect holiness. So all of us, the Pharisees, the religious people in our, in our life, and the, and the sinners, everyone, compared to the perfect standard of God's glory and his holiness, we all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says it a little Morris says none is righteous no not one none is righteous no not one the upside down path to righteousness well Romans 3:10 says none is righteous that seems upside down right none is righteous no not one everyone is guilty the prophet jeremiah Jeremiah 17.9, again, do you remember I told you that the, the, the gospel is, is concealed in, in the Old Testament? Here's a gospel truth that we see in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 17.9, it's, it's basically what Romans 3 is saying here. The Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The human heart is desperately sick. All has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, no, not one. That's the gospel truth in the Old Testament. And so, here's the point. We must see our sin and our lives correctly in the right light. It is sin is what separates us from a holy God. And the truth of the gospel is, is that apart from the grace of God, we are the criminal who is unrighteous and deserving of judgment. Because that's what Romans 6 says, Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. No one is righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That's the just judgment for sin. And unfortunately, listen, unfortunately in our culture today, we, we see ourselves as victims. We live in a victim culture. We've we got to blame everybody. We want to blame everybody for everything that's wrong in our life. And when you see yourself as a victim, you're looking elsewhere for the perpetrator. But the gospel tells us, in fact, we are the perpetrator. We're the criminal. We are guilty apart from God and his grace and his redemption in our life. So so the first way that Jesus illustrates Matthew 5 about being poor in spirit, I think he illustrates it with this story by saying we're not made right with God by being less bad than other people, Pharisee. You not, you're not right with me just because you're not the tax collector. You're not right with me just because you're not an adulterer or an extortioner. We are not made right with God by being less bad than other people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't come before God and say, at least I'm not that bad. We've all thought it, at least I'm not that bad. Or I'm not as bad as that person. In essence, that mindset is a, is a form of saving ourselves, trying to save ourselves. So, we're not made right with God by being less bad than other people. Secondly, what does this foreign spirit look like? How does Jesus illustrate it? Secondly, we are not made right with God by being better than other people. So, I'm not as bad. That's not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. God, I'm not as bad, so let me in. Surely, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as really evil people. So, certainly, you'll let me in, right, God. Well, well, no, because we're all guilty, right? You guys follow me? You tracking? Secondly, we are not made right with God by being better than other people. Look back at the text, the next verse, Luke 18, 12. What does the Pharisee say next in his quote-unquote prayer? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Pharisee starts out his fake prayer, his prideful prayer, and he says, I'm not like these bad people. Thank God I'm not like them. And then he says, "He says, oh, and God, I am so good. Look at what I do. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. Tithe is a tenth. The word tithe means tenth. And so uh, the Old Testament law required that Jews would give a tenth of their income. Well, the Pharisees their income, their produce, their cattle. But the Pharisee says, well, well we're going to be, we're going to demonstrate our goodness so much that we're going to give a tithe of everything we have. And it even went so far, you can, you can read it when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees later in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, you pay tithe on your spices. That's how righteous you're trying to be, how good you're trying to be. But you're a hypocrite. So it'd be like this you go to your spice cabinet at your house and you take out your Tony sasheries, and you take out your ground cumin and, and, you, and you weigh it and you get the amount of ounces that are in the container and you take 10% of those ounces and you set it aside and you say, God, and you bring it to church and dump it in the buckets that we have on Sunday with all the money, right? Okay, God, I'm giving you a tithe of my Tony Sacheries this morning. This is what the Pharisee is in essence saying. He's saying, God, I'm not as bad as these other people, Certainly, you're going to be happy with me. And and God, I I, I am better than other people too. I fast twice. Look at what I do. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This is exactly what we do as as, as human beings. If I'm good enough, certainly God will forgive me. If I'm good enough, it will outweigh my bad deeds. I think all of us have, have thought that. I'm gonna make up for my bad deeds. I'm gonna to try to be good enough. I'm less bad than other people, but I'm better than other people. I'm gonna to try to be really good. I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna to go to elevate. I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna to try to be really good, and we think that those are the things that God is looking for in our lives. We think that that's what he wants from us for approval. We think that, right? In and of itself, we think that that's what God's after right? We all do it. And and we believe it's this this idea of a good deeds versus bad deeds scale system. This is natural for us as human beings. We think that in the end, when we stand before God, if my good deeds, I I fast twice a week, I, I pay tithes on all my spices and my everything i have and i go to church and I, i'm putting all these good deeds on this side of the scale at the end you know yeah i do a few bad things right i do a few bad things i've cheated on a test before i've lied to my parents they said not to watch a show but when they went to bed i watched the show anyway have you ever done that none of you right Right. Well, I've done a little bit of that. But 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 look, I'm at Elevate. I'm at I'm at the student conference this year. I'm doing a lot of good things and and at the end when I get to heaven, God look at look at the side of this scale of all the good things that I've done. This is what we do as human beings. This is our natural tendency in our sinfulness is to think that if I don't do a lot of really bad things, just little small ones, and I do a lot of really good things that outweigh all the little bad things that I do, then in the end, God will look at the scales and he'll say, okay, the scale on your side of good outweighs your bad, so you get to be in the kingdom of heaven. You get to be in, you get to be in, you get to be in. Oh, but 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 you, you got too many bad things on your scale, so, so you're out. That's, that's what we think. That's our natural response. Have any of you heard the word karma? You know what karma is? Or the idea of karma, the false idea of karma? Karma is kinda like a good deeds, bad deeds scale system. Karma, here's the definition of karma. The force generated by a person's actions is believed believed in Hinduism and in Buddhism. And here's the idea. Each individual is born with karma, the residual, f- the, res- the residual from past lives that must be resolved. So this is, this is the idea of karma. If I do good, good will come back around in a future life or in this life now, right? If I do good, I'm storing up for good in the future. That's the good deeds, bad deeds scale, karma. But if I, if I live bad then bad's going to come back around. So I don't want bad. I don't want bad now. and I don't want bad in the future, in, in, in eternity. So I need some good karma. You guys have heard of karma, right? I think even Taylor Swift wrote a song called Karma. Anybody know Taylor Swift's song called Karma? You shouldn't because she curses. Did you know she curses God's name in that song? Did you know that? Those of you who listen to Taylor Swift, she blasphemes God's name in the song Karma. But here's what she says in karma. I couldn't read the whole lyric, but here's what she says in karma. Because karma is the thunder rattling your ground. Karma's on your scent like a bounty hunter. Karma's going to track you down step by step from town to town. Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is a... Karma is a... a God. Karma's a God. Karma's a boyfriend. Karma is a God. Karma if I be, can be good enough, then that will appease God, or karma, it will store up credit for me later. Good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, right? If I'm less bad, we, we are not made right with God by being less bad, and we are not made right with God by storing up good karma in the end, Taylor Swift, right? Amen, amen, amen. So... When it comes to answering the question, how can a person be right with God, our good deeds now or our good deeds stored up for credit later amount to nothing that can help us. You guys follow that? Isaiah 64, six, again, here's the gospel in the Old Testament, listen. The gospel in the Old Testament, Isaiah 64, 6. I I, I want you to try, this was not a part of what I was gonna say in my notes, but I think this is so instructive for us. Did you see the gospel in Jeremiah 17? Did you see Romans 3? None are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin are death. That's Romans, but look at the gospel again. Look at Romans in Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment meant to be thrown away that's Romans in Isaiah 700 years before Christ was born the prophet Isaiah wrote this isn't that beautiful to think about how amazing the Bible is right all of our righteous deeds they're not going to get us into heaven I don't want you to laugh too hard at this video I'm about to show you okay but Just like Luke 18 illustrates being poor in spirit and mourning over sin, what it looks like to be poor in spirit, what it looks like to mourn over sin, Donald Trump does it as well. He, Donald Trump, gives a great illustration of thinking that doing less bad and doing more good is what it's all about. Watch, watch this clip of former President Donald Trump. One of the potential attack lines has to do with an answer you gave to Frank Luntz months ago when you said that you've never asked God for forgiveness. Do you you regret making that remark? No, I have great relationship with God. I have great relationship with uh, the evangelicals. In fact, nationwide, I'm I'm up by a lot. I'm leading everybody. But I like to be good. I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness, and I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try and do nothing that's bad. I live a very different life than probably a lot of people would think. And I have a very, great, I have a very great relationship with God, and I have a very great relationship with the evangelicals, and I think that's why I'm doing so well with Iowa. The life you have now, when you say that you try to do good, that sounds very different from decades of tabloid media coverage in New York in which some of your wilder escapades were well, about-, I'm talking about. I'm talking about over the last number of years. Okay. I've been, you know, I mean, I'm leading a very good life. I try to lead a good life and, and I have. I mean, do you see the Pharisee in Luke 18? Like Donald Trump. It, you, just imagine when you read Luke 18 again, Donald Trump is in, is in the temple. Like he just said everything in essence that the Pharisees said in Luke 18, did he not? That's exactly what he said. He said, "I try to be really good and I try not to be really bad and, and look at all the good things I've done. I'm not like these bad people and uh, and this is what I do. I'm real try to be really good. I mean that, that that's 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 the way we are left to ourself in our sinful condition." The good deeds, we hope they outweigh the bad deeds. You know what's interesting about what Donald Trump said there? He says, I'm pretty good with God and evangelicals. You know what evangelicals are, right? Evangelicals are, are Christians. Uh, we, that we, if you're a Christian, you're an evangelical. The evangel, it's the, it's the call, the evangelistic call. We are evangelicals, right? So he says, yeah, I would want to tell Donald Trump, you don't really need to worry about being good with evangelicals. You need to be good with God, right? But Donald Trump illustrates it. We are not made right with God, Donald, by being less bad than others. And, and Donald, you're not made right with God by being better than others. So what's the answer? What is God's answer to this question of how can man be right with God? God's answer is, far, is by far the best answer possible. By far the best. So, so we've illustrated how you don't get into the kingdom of heaven, right? With the Pharisee. Now we're about to see poor in spirit, and mourning over sin, perfectly illustrated. Here's the third thing we see. We are made right with God on the basis of our faith in Jesus. Period. End of sentence. That's it. We are made right with God on the basis of our faith in Jesus. Look at the text. Next verse. But the tax collector. You remember the sinner of all sinners? The hated and despised one? What did he do? He stood afar off. Do you remember earlier, the Pharisee, he stood in the middle of the temple. He's wanting to be seen, he's wanting to be heard. He lifts up his voice and he, he, he prays this false prayer. Prayer is humility, but he was prideful, so it was not prayer, it was just boasting in himself, acting like he's praying, right? He's in the middle, the, the Pharisee, the, the tax collector, he stands afar off, he doesn't even wanna come near, he knows who he is. He knows he is sinful. He knows he is an extortioner. He knows he is a thief. He knows he's a liar. He, won't, he doesn't want to come near the church. And then it says he would not even lift up his eyes. You remember the Pharisee? He, he's lifting up his hands and his eyes to heaven. He's looking up. He's in the middle. He's loud. He's boasting. The tax collector. He's a far off. Because he knows who he is. He won't lift his eyes. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of recognition that I, I, I can't even look up to God. But what does he do next? He beats his chest. He stands afar off. He won't lift his eyes. He beats his chest. That was a sign of, of repentance. Jews in the Bible days, when they would, and Jewish men in particular, when they would mourn over their sin, a part of the, what they would do is they would beat their chest and they would gla- grab at their, at their garment, their, their outer cloak, and they would tear it. They would tear it as a sign of repentance. And the reason they would beat their chest is they realized that, that sin came from in the heart. Sin came from in the heart, so they're beating their chest, and it's this this idea of woe is me. So do you see it? You see the difference? The Pharisee is like, here I am. Look how good I am. Look how bad I am not. The tax collector, he's like, I know who I am. I know how bad I am. I don't, even, I, don't even, I don't even want to lift up my eyes to heaven. I, I don't even know how to pray. How do I pray? And he beats his chest, and look what it says here. Look, look at his prayer. Here's, here's his prayer. This is genuine prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a prayer. The posture, the, 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 the physical stance of his life was humble, and the words that came out of his mouth reflected that humility. You know, many people have asked me over over the years. Um, um, you know, what what's the sinner's prayer? I grew up all of my life believing that there's this idea that there's a sinner's prayer you got to pray a sinner's prayer to get saved. you got to pray a sinner's prayer to get saved. What are the words? Well, God, forgive me of my sins. God, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, forgive me of my sins. I believe in Jesus as my Savior, and I will serve you all the days of my life. That's a sinner's prayer. And so we get people to repeat a sinner's prayer. But I want to tell you, there, there is no sinner's prayer. There's no prayer in the Bible that is a sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is the prayer that a sinner prays. That is the sinner's prayer. Do you follow that? The sinner's prayer is the prayer that a sinner prays in humility before God when he mourns over his or her sin and he cries out for mercy. There's no magical prayer that a sinner prays to be born again. It's the prayer of a sinner that acknowledges they are a sinner in humility and they call on the mercy of God. That is a sinner's prayer. And this is what this tax collector does. Three responses. Stands afar off, won't lift up his eyes. That's humility. Beats his chest. That's repentance. Cries out to God for mercy. That's a prayer of desperation. He had no hope but that God would show him mercy. And this is the place that God wants every person to to come to. He had no hope but that God would show him mercy. And this, this, the tax collector amazingly demonstrates what it means to be poor in spirit and to mourn over sin. Didn't he do that perfectly? Isn't the tax collector perfectly opposite of Donald Trump in that video? Donald Trump was the Pharisee. The tax collector is any sinner who says, says, I bring nothing to the table. I have nothing to offer. I have no justification. I have no excuses. I'm guilty. I acknowledge my sin. I'm mourn over. I'm not boasting in what I haven't done or I'm not boasting in the good that I have done. If it's only by your mercy, God, without mercy, I am nothing. So we are not made right with God by being less bad. Don't ever forget that. The comparison and the standard that you are to compare your life to is not really bad people that you see on social media doing really bad things. That's not who you compare yourself to. The comparison is God's perfect righteousness. And we all fall short. All of us are guilty. And we are not made right with God by being really good. Being really good doesn't get you saved or into heaven. It just makes you like a Pharisee. It can potentially make you like a Pharisee if you begin to boast in it. The way we may write with God is on the basis of our faith in Jesus. And this is what this tax collector showed. He was not basing anything on his self or on his ability. He was simply crying out for the mercy of God. So I just want you to hear this. The gospel is the best news that has ever hit this planet. And I, th- I don't think we understand the power of the gospel. I think even as Christians, we forget the gospel. We think that the gospel is for sinners and not for Christians. The gospel is for sinners and the gospel is for Christians. The gospel is our life from the moment of our salvation till we end up in heaven. The gospel saves us from ourself when we don't want anything to do with Christ and the gospel, the gospel is for us for the rest of our lives. It reminds us every single day of our Christian life that it is not the good deeds that I do that are gonna earn God's approval. I am only approved of because of what Christ did for me. Amen? I'm only approved of because of what Christ did for me. So, we have a conclusion. I'm wrapping up here. Here's the conclusion. And this is one of the most shocking conclusions that you'll find in the Bible from the Pharisees' perspective. Look at what Jesus said about the man who became right with God. Look at the last verse, Luke 18, 14. I tell you, Jesus tells the story. Listen, listen. He tells the story. Pharisees are listening to this story. And you can imagine the Pharisees that are listening to this story, they're thinking, oh, I know the right person. I know the one that's pleasing to God. It's the the Pharisee. It's the one who fasts twice a week. It's the, the one who gives tithes of all that he gets. It's the one that's praying in the temple. Certainly not the tax collector. He's not the one that's right with God. Jesus ends like this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the gospel. We are made right with God, justified. To be justified means to be declared righteous before God. We are declared righteous before God, not because we're less bad and not because we're more good. We are declared righteous before God because of our faith in Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's why we are declared righteous. That's why we are declared righteous. All of us are guilty before God. And without his intervention, we are deserving of judgment. But God so graciously provided his son to take our place, to be our substitute, to die for our sins. So my question, I started with the question, how can a person be made right with God? Here's another question I want to end with here tonight. This is the most important question that you can answer this, this weekend. Here's the most important question, is would you place your faith in Jesus tonight? Will you place your faith in Jesus tonight? Would you say, would you say tonight, would you say, I'm not placing my faith in the fact that I'm not as bad as bad people? I'm not placing my faith in how good I am. Tonight, I'm going to place my faith in the perfect work of Christ on the cross for me when he died for my sin. Would you do that tonight? Would you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus? So here's here's how it happens. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus Jesus had a real-life encounter with another Pharisee, His name was Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus looked at this Pharisee and he told him, Nick, you must be born again. That's what it means to be saved, to be born again, to be made new. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses that Jesus is Lord and is saved. And what are, the, what, are the, what are the results of that confession? Hear me, listen, won't you not won't you look up at me? Just just look up at me just one last time. What, what are the results of that confession? Here it is, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? If anyone is in Christ, what it means to be in Christ, it means that you're not like the Pharisee and you're not standing in Your own righteousness. To be in Christ means that you're standing by faith in His righteousness. You're saying, I'm going to take my stand. If I'm going to take my stand anywhere, it's not going to be in my own righteousness. I'm going to take my stand in the righteousness of Christ. That's where I'm basing my life, on His righteousness. If anyone, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what happens? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All things are made new. We are made brand new. Our desires change. Some of you, you, you have been wrestling with sin and temptation. You've been wrestling with pressure from your friends. You've been wrestling with, 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 not, with wanting to go the way of the world. And I'm here to tell you, the wrestle may be so strong in your life right now, it's be, be, because you have not stood in Christ yet. You're not, maybe you've not been made brand new yet. When you're made brand new, temptation doesn't go away. We'll still be tempted. But when you're made brand new, you begin to have new desires. You begin to have new desires to please the Lord. So maybe that's you. Maybe you need to stand in Christ tonight. You need to commit to Christ. So would, you, would you bow your heads? Here's, here's, here's what we want to do. This is between you and the Lord. We're not going to be like the Pharisee. We're not going to stand up and try to prove our righteousness to other people. Righteousness, righteousness only comes through humility. We're going, to, we're going to just be between us and the Lord tonight. It's you and God right now. It's you and God. And in the quietness of your heart, as you're sitting there and you're thinking about this weekend, I know you have a lot of fun things that you're going to do and you're going to have a great time. But, but this is the most important moment right here because this could be a moment where, where you make a decision in your heart to stand in Christ. And because of that faith in what Christ has done for you, you can be made brand new and your whole weekend can change. You can have a whole new perspective on this weekend, a whole new perspective on your life. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can be, be given a clean heart, a new heart, and your desires begin to change and you become a Christian. And that can happen tonight in this moment. So just as the tax collector, he just, he just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's as simple as the prayer needs to be. So in the quietness of your heart and your mind, if that's you, pray that prayer to God right now. Just pray that prayer S- simply. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. all you have to pray. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if it was good enough for the tax collector in Jesus's story, it's good enough for anyone. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you believe that in your heart, here's what I want you to do. Would would, would you look up at me? If you prayed that in your heart, if if in the quietness of your heart you said, yes, that's me, I've never really done that. I want you to talk to your leader tonight. I want you to talk to your group leader. I want you to say, you know, tonight when Pastor Ben was preaching, like I I saw it, it clicked, I got it. And and I prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I I want to stand in Christ. I want to make my stand with Christ tonight. If you did that, talk to your leader, and they're going to hug you, love on you, pray with you, encourage you. All right? All right. I love you. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for hearing God's word. Can I pray for you? Amen. Father, I thank you for these precious students. I thank you, God, for this weekend and what you're going to do in the lives of these students. Lord, I thank you for what your word shows us. Lord, what great news the gospel is that none of us can stand in our own good deeds And expect to be right with you. Lord, all we have to do is take a step over and to stand in Christ. To take our stand with Christ. And to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe in Christ. I believe in what he has done for me in my place. And that's where I'm placing my trust. It's that simple. And I know that there are those here that did that tonight the quietness of their heart they did it they prayed that prayer and now they're they're yours you saved them they're born again and Lord, i pray that they would testify of that to their friends or to their leaders we thank you for that work that you started here tonight we pray this in jesus name amen all right i love you Thanks for listening and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.